How's everybody doing? Good? Good. Hey, my name is Connor. Uh, I have the privilege of serving here uh, as an associate pastor. Uh, pastors Jay and Ray Dean are our lead pastors. They're not here today. They're over just over in Liberty Lake, actually, uh, ministering in a park, I think. Um, bunch of local, that's really cool, unity, right? That's what we're all about. So um, they picked me. Lucky you. No, just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. Hey, a couple of thoughts on men's retreat before we dive in. Um, I have a reputation in here at Heart of the City Church kind of being uh, the man's man, really. That's <laughs> when people need advice on hunting and the woods and, and all that stuff, they come to me because I'm just a, a, a well of knowledge. Uh, if you're new and you don't know why everybody's laughing, that's because that's a lie. Uh, Someone last night was like, you're the fashionista. I was like, don't judge me, right? Like, it's all good. Um, but uh, we were up at men's camp, and um, someone actually had texted me. They're like, Connor, did you take care of the porta potties? We're, uh, we're concerned about you. Uh, we don't know if you can use a shovel. So, anyway, men's camp was great. Uh, one thing that the, the whole theme of men's camp was honor. Um, and, and I think that God did a lot of things. We're going to have a, a video for you next weekend. Last night I said next year, um, and people were like, oh, you going to have previews for that or full-blown production? Uh, we're going to have a video for you next weekend with some awesome testimonies, some really, really cool stuff. But um, something that God said to me, and I think just in general, the whole theme of the camp was honor. Um, and in my own life, what I feel like God said to me, it challenged me with, and um, I'm receiving it and trying to grow in it. But he said that honor starts and ends with your family. Um, so for you men out there, uh, I think that was a big theme. And, and for the ladies and for kids and everybody, family, uh, we're going to do our best as the men of this house uh, to honor you. Uh, I'm 24 years old, two years into full-time ministry, um, and I think that I have lacked in honoring my family. Um, I've given a lot to this house and different things like that, and sometimes that's a challenge, but honor starts and ends with your family. If you can't honor your family, uh, you're going to have a really hard time honoring anybody uh, at all. So um, yesterday I came home and I had to, to finish my sermon notes, but I also had to vacuum. Uh, I was on my way up the river out of cell service and God was like, you forgot to vacuum when your wife asked you to. And I was like, thanks big guy, appreciate the conviction. <laughs> so I'm driving up the river and then we came back and I got home and I got a couple hours and I'm like, I need to vacuum. And so I started vacuuming and uh, this is the revelation that I had. I was like, if I vacuum and honor my wife, then God will honor me tonight and anoint me and it'll be an awesome service. And then I was like, your motivations might be messed up. <laughs> and then this is the real revelation that I had, Paul. That honor in itself is a privilege and a gift that we have. Because what it tells us is that we have people that love us. And honor is simply a response to the love that they have for us. So I was like, man, I'm just going to vacuum the kitchen because my wife loves me. <laughs> and uh, that's all that I really need. And I'm confident in that. Whether or not... Things went well last night, which I think they did, and God is faithful, but more than anything, um, God just wants us to respond to the love that he's shown us to honor him, and the love that he has put in the hearts of the people around us, and honor them. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's, uh, let's jump in. 
We're in a series right now called Heart Cry. We're going through the Psalms, not each Psalm because that would be a really, really long series. But we're going we're gonna to jump around. The Psalm that we're going to read today is Psalm 13. Um, many of you are maybe unfamiliar with this Psalm. It's kind of one of those ones in between some of the big hitters that we kind of jump over. But I think it's really beautiful and it's got some good stuff in it. So Psalm 13 says this. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? In my Bible, like in the the margins, I wrote real talk. How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him or her, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is a a lament psalm. It's David crying out in desperation for God to move on his behalf. I think what God is going to do in this series for our church as a whole, see the psalms is a a collection of of songs or prayers that are meant to be sung out. And when I was praying about this, just in general for this whole series, I think what God wants to do in this community is to release a song in each and every one of us. Now you may not be musically talented, neither am I. We're together in that. But there is a song in each and every one of us. There is a cry in the heart. See, the Psalms are highly emotional and deeply spiritual. This place in our heart where we're just like trying to wrestle and navigate through this world in relationship with God, believing that he is all that he is while we're trying to navigate the darkness. And we just come to this place where we're like, God, you're so good. Or sometimes like, God, why have you forsaken me? But it's this cry from the depth of a heart that shakes off of us and releases redemption. I think what God wants to do in this community, in the hearts of each and every one of us uniquely, those of you who would say, God, I know that you have a song for me and I'm going to sing it, is he's going to shake that loose in you this year. He's going to shake that loose in you in this series. And what we're going to see in this city is just this melody of songs that's beautiful that God is going to use to glorify himself and bring redemption to the city of Coeur d'Alene. So my question for you is, will you sing? Will you approach this series and say, God, I'm going to hear from you. I know that you want to unloose something inside of me. I have a cry in my heart to know you and experience you in your fullness. I will sing to you. And if we can do that, then God will show himself faithful. Amen? Amen. The next scripture that we want to read real quick is Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, I'm going to start in verse 13. I think you guys got one of them. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs. Faith is null and promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but there is no law. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why... It depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, you and I. 
not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God and in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. It's beautiful. In hope he believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations as he has been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Listen to this verse. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. If you're taking notes, you can title this message, The Unwavering Heart, and I have a subtitle for you. What did I write down? (laughs) Oh, I remember. It's really odd, but we'll get there. The Unwavering Heart, subtitle, March of the Penguins. (laughs) Right, Bree? Honey? March of the Penguins, that's my wife over there, not just some random woman. (laughs) Pray with me real quick, and uh, we'll dive in. God, we thank you, we love you, we give you all the glory. We pray that you would lead everything that I say. Uh, In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen, amen. God answers every prayer. I want to read that scripture to you in the message. The message is a contemporary uh, translation of the scriptures. It's not literal um, in the sense that a lot of the translations are. It's very supplementary to um, many of the other common trans- uh, translations that you would read up at men's camp. Someone, the way that I received what they were saying about the message, um, it had come up and they were kind of like, uh, <laughs> kind of making fun of it. And I had thought to myself, I'm going to read out of the message this weekend in my sermon. So I was like, yeah, 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 man, good one. Yeah, it's not really that good of a translation. Anyway, Psalm 13 in the message says this. Long enough, God, you've ignored me long enough. I've looked at the back of your head long enough. One more time, long enough. I've carried this ton of trouble, lived with a stomach full of pain. Long enough, my arrogance enemies have looked down their noses at me. Take a good look at me, God, my God. I want to look life in the eye so no enemy can get the best of me or laugh when I fall on my face. I fell headlong into your arms. I'm celebrating your rescue. I'm singing at the top of my lungs. I'm so full of answered prayers. Is David bipolar? I'm not sure. This is the way that I see what's going on in in this psalm. Often we, we see the image of David fighting Goliath, right? Just slaying this huge giant with stones. This is a similar image that I have in my brain, but I just see this big black figure with his back to David. That's God. And David's got his stones, and he's just flinging stones up at God like, Hey, big guy, do you see me over here? Are you listening? Now, that's not in the scripture, so it's not authoritative. But this is what David's doing. He's crying out, God, 
I'm here, I'm crying out to you, I'm trying to get your attention, but you won't pay attention to me. How long will you leave me this way? Will you ever turn around, you big dummy? Who would say that to God? David would. I wouldn't do that. I don't think God's dumb. Come on, I'm a pastor. But David is desperately trying to get the attention of God. And it seems in the scripture that God is not responding. Have you ever been this before? Where you're like, God, do you hear me, big man? Do I need to clean out the wax in your ears? Are you paying attention to your guy down here or your girl down here? I think all of us have probably been here at that point at some time in our life. And I think really, you know, I think about people who, who don't believe in God. And I think there are a lot of reasons why people don't believe in God. But I think one of the most common reasons why people don't believe in God is because at some point in time they believed in God and they cried out to God and they feel like God had forsaken them. This is my, just one of the questions I have for you tonight. Just going to ask it. I'm going to leave it at that and you can just wrestle with it. Does it do us, us, any good to forsake God at any point in our life? I think that's a question that we have to ask. Because here's the wrestling that I have with this scripture, especially being a member of Heart of the City Church, where we take so much healthy pride in the reality that we feel like God dwells and his presence is in this place. And we are presence people. We believe that God would never forsake us, that he goes with us everywhere that we go, and he's always with us. He loves us, he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, and he is for us. And then I read Psalm 13, and I'm like, apparently David felt forsaken. What does this mean? When I was in second grade, I felt forsaken by my teacher. Come on, go with me here. We were in class. This is a true story. We were in class. She had asked a question. I raised my hand because I had the answer to the question. That kind of stopped after second grade. I raised the answer to the question. Nobody else has their hand raised in the air. She's like, does anybody have an answer? I'm like, yeah, I do, over here. Doesn't call on me. So I'm like, what's going on? Does she not see that I have my hand raised in the air? She asks the question again. I have the answer. No response. Now I'm starting to get frustrated, right? Like, I'm talking to all my homies, like, what's going on? Why is she, you know, she, we got a beef? She got a problem with me? Did I not pass my spelling test? She asked the question again. I don't, even, I don't remember her name, but if I saw her, I would know exactly who she is. And I would apologize, because this is what happened. I raised my hand. Doesn't respond to me, so this is what I do. I can't believe I did this. I start snapping at her. She said... Now I have her attention. <laughs> she said, don't you ever snap at me again. I was like, now do you have an answer to the question? Nope, forgot. <laughs> what question did you ask? No. 
All of us have been in that emotion at some point in our life where we're like, I'm here and I want you to know me. I want you to see me. And we're trying to get the attention of the person and they're like, not responding. And I think really in the hearts of each and every one of us, just as much as we want to be known by people, more than that, we want to be known by God. And the idea that God doesn't see us or know us or humanity doesn't see us or know us is our greatest fear. That we would be left alone and abandoned, unnoticed, unseen, worthless. But the question for me, because I think that's the emotion that David is expressing, is why does David feel that way? Because there's really, that's the most, in question, most important question in anything that you ask, is why am I here? Why am I in this place? Why do I feel this way? If we can get to the why, then we can work from it from there. So we have to know why David feels that way. And I'm thinking about David's life, and I think about my own life, but I think about David's life, and I'm like, why would David feel that way? And I think, God is for David. Like, God sees David as the runt of the litter in his family, and God says, I want that kid to be the king of my people. Like, if you saw me as the runt of the litter with all these brothers, and you called me out, I'd be like, yeah, that dude loves me. I'm feeling good. You know what I'm saying? And God says, that one, he's going to lead my people. And then David goes off into a field for a bunch of years, and he's protecting sheep, and God gives him favor to fight off bears and lions. I'd be like, yep, God's with me, no doubt about it. So I don't think it's there. But then I think about David's later years. Bathsheba? Mm Mm-hmm. Maybe David's crying out after he's committed a sin. This is what I have to say about that. Because I thought about that and I was like, yeah, maybe that's when it is. But I don't think that's when it is. Often, we feel like God's not with us when we commit sin. But it's not because God's not good or faithful or loving or doesn't see us. It's not because God hasn't forsaken us. Honestly, it's because we've forsaken God. If we forsake God... There are natural consequences to that. Sometimes people come to me and they're like, Connor, I don't feel God. I'm like, all right, I understand that. What's going on in your life? Well, I've been messing around in this and I've been doing that and I've been looking at that and I've been thinking about this and I've been wanting this. And I'm like, you've forsaken God. I mean, I understand your temptations. I understand your desires. I get it. But God has so much more for you. And you've stepped out on what he has for you. No wonder you don't feel like he's for you. Because he's not for your forsakenness. God has a table laid before us in this life. Full of beautiful and wonderful things. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, long-suffering. His love, his grace, his mercy, salvation, everything. We can experience it in this life. But so often we leave the table and we go eat in the trash. And we feel like, God, why have you forsaken me? Why did you take the table from me? He didn't take the table from us. Get away from it. So David didn't feel this way because he had sinned. I have good news for you on that end. If we forsake God, which we all probably will at some point if you haven't already, 
God is watching for you and waiting for you. And when you get to the end of your rope, when you decide to come back to him, he will meet you at that place and he will lavish you with his love and he will throw a fat party for you. Check out Luke chapter 15. That's the Bible, friends. So that's really good news. It's not because David had forsaken God and he had done that. I think the real reason why David is in this place and why he's feeling this emotion, uh, emotion I'm convinced of this. I looked up the history of Psalm 13, and I was like, when, what event in David's life did this psalm come out of? And scholars don't know. Like we, a lot of the different scriptures, we can pinpoint the time and the season that David was in and why he wrote Psalm 13. But we, we have no idea. I think maybe it speaks to, I don't think it's as much about the event, but rather just this whole narrative of his life is where this psalm comes out of. And the one thing that I see about David that separates him from anybody else, that gave him the, the tools and everything to be king of God's people, is God knew that David would be obedient to the call that he had on his life. I'm convinced that David's cry, God, why have you forsaken me, is from a place of obedience. How's that for theology? That's not one of those like, I'm glad that you guys didn't amen. Because to me, that is not an amen moment. Because think about the ramifications of obedience to God. You know who else was in that moment and at that place in total obedience and said the very same thing? God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus. In his moment, on his prime stage, to be the savior of the world, the greatest expression of love on the cross, he says, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Often that cry in our life is not because we've stepped out on God or anything like that, or God doesn't really see where we're at, but God has called us to a place, and we're obedient to that call, and at some point in time, we really go through this like, Man, God, are you really for me and with me? Because God is going to call us into dangerous and dark places so we can be the light of the world and the salt of the earth and bring redemption to the world around us. And he's going to use us to touch people and meet with people and just transform lives. And at some point in time, we're going to walk in obedience and we're going to get to this place because in our natural human understanding, we're going to be like, this is too dark. This is too scandalous. This is too overwhelming. This is too hard. God, are you really for me? Are you really with me? Did you really call me into this place? And my proposal to you is, yes, he did. Yes, he did. Because if Jesus felt forsaken, so will we. But I have good news for you. Here's, before we get there, before we get to the really good news, let's look at the cons of Psalm 13. I gotta get some water. The cons of Psalm 13. Obedience is overwhelming. You have to know that. Before you make a, a decision, and maybe you've already made a decision to be obedient in your life, you have to know that obedience is overwhelming. So often in, in, in Christianity, in the kingdom, we're like, yeah, following Jesus is going to be peaches and fluffy babies on diapers shooting harps, and it's going to be awesome. 
God's going to bless me. He's going to give me a Bentley, a nice house. He's going to like everything I put my hands to. I'm going to get favor. Mm, talk to Paul. I mean, talk to Jesus. It's not the case. We're going to be overwhelmed in this life of following Jesus. Friends, Jesus says, in this life, you will have great trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. But you have to know, because if our expectation for Christianity is that it would be all peaches and cream, and it would be a smooth road, it would never get hard, it would never get difficult, there would never be a battle, we really won't follow Jesus and step into all that God has for us. The past resistance is really the way of sin. Sin is fast, and it feels good for a moment, and it can be really, really fun, but it will lead you into this really deep, dark place. But following Jesus often is slow and hard, and there's great resistance, but the more that we press forward into all that God has for us, we experience the fullness of his goodness and grace, but it can be overwhelming. The second con to Psalm 13. Obedience, this is what I wrote. Obedience is a process often drug out. And then I scratched it out. And I wrote, Obedience is the process, and it is the game, and it is the life that we've committed to as Christians. I said that last night, and Don was like, dude, I gotta show you this. Two years ago, Don was at House of Prayer praying about Honduras. They felt like Don and Debbie felt like God had called them to Honduras. Talk about obedience. Honduras, face value on paper, is not peaches and cream and fluffy. But God has put a love in their heart for that people. A passion that they could not deny. A burn that they could not deny. So Don wrote, why Honduras? And God just began to speak to him. He began to speak to him about obedience. And Don wrote, because obedience is where Hon or obedience will take us to Honduras. And then, correct me if I'm wrong. But then he wrote, it's not about Honduras. It's simply about obedience. We come to this place in our life where we're like, God, I know that you love me. I know that you're for me. I know that you've laid out this table in front of me of salvation. Life abundantly. I'll go wherever you ask me to go. And then he's like, go to Honduras. And you're like, uh, you said lost? No, Honduras. <laughs> and then we start to think about the practicality of Honduras and the darkness there and all the things that we'll be up against. And we're like, uh. And then we realize it's not about Honduras. It's not about Coeur d'Alene. It's not about wherever God has called you to be or whatever he's called you to do. It's about simply obedience. Let's get to the good stuff. The pros. Before we get there. <laughs> Here we get to my subtitle. March of the Penguins. <laughs> this was not originally in my notes, but it was from God. So we'll go with it. Like I said, sin is fast and it's fun. And it will take you a long way really quickly. Sin is like a 
This is what I think about it. It's like this sprint where you're, I'm not going to sprint up here, but you're moving really, really fast with no like particular destination or place, but you'll just run after anything that you can get your hands on and you'll go really, really fast. Again, it's fast and it's fun. And soon enough, if you found yourself far from God, obedience is more like a penguin march. Just one little step at a time. Because here's what I know about following Jesus. There will be moments where I'm like, yep, I like that God, I'll be obedient to it. And then I get there and I'm like, God, why have you forsaken me? And then I'm tempted by something else and I'm like, yeah, that looks really fun. I'll go back over here. (laughs) As a pastor, I think that way. When I talk to addicts, this is what I tell them about their sobriety. One day at a time. They're like, I want to be sober for 10 years. I'm like, no, you need to be sober today. And then you put 10 years of today together, and all of a sudden you're at 10 years. But when we start thinking too far out, and we don't realize that obedience is just bang, 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 bang. And we think we got to run like an Olympic triathlete, we will trip over the hurdles. Now, I'm not saying you don't get to this place where you pick up speed. I once heard a a drug addict, they said to me, Connor, I got to this place where it wasn't, they were depressed and just burnt out on life. And they're like, it wasn't one day at a time. It was literally one second at a time. If I could be sober for a second in the day, then I had made it. And I got to one second, and to one second, and to one second. Then I put 24 hours together, and then I put years together. But if I would have gone for years and missed out on the seconds, I never would have got there. Obedience is a penguin march, not a sprint to the kingdom of God. Because there will be hurdles, and there will be walls that we're up against. And if we're going too fast, we will run in, and we will, I don't know what will happen, but it might be destructive. Now let's get to the good news. (laughs) I only had a little coffee this morning. The pros of Psalm 13. God inspired David to write this psalm. This is the thing that we have to understand about the psalms. There there is theology in the psalms that's not necessarily true. Now, that doesn't mean it's not divinely inspired by God and perfect in the way that it's written. But the theology that we're to take from Psalm 13 is not that God has forsaken us, but rather the emotion that David is writing in. The reality that will come to this place where we'll feel like God has forsaken us. That's what God is inspiring David to write. Why? Because God knows that we'll be in that place and it doesn't shake him or bother him or offend him or make him like mad at us. If you are got to a place where you feel like God has forsaken you, good news, you're following Jesus. You're being obedient. God is not mad at you. He sees you right where you're at in that place and he's not going to leave you. He's not like, yeah, you need to get rid of that doubt. You need to get rid of that unbelief. Mm, Figure it out and I'll come help you. That's not what Psalm 13 says. Psalm 13 is permission for us to, in obedience, be like, God, are you here with me in this place? Do you really see me? I'm doing my best to follow you. 
I'll go wherever you ask me to go. But I need to know that you're with me. Yeah, you can do that. That's totally okay. I would highly encourage it and recommend it. If you get to that place, that means you're becoming fully human. You're becoming a lot more like Jesus. Because we are being honest with our situation in alignment with who God is. And we're saying, God, I need you to show up in this place. I need you desperately. It says in Hebrews chapter 4 that we have a great high priest, Jesus, who can empathize with our every weakness and situation. Why? Because he went through them ourselves, himself. He knows exactly where we are in our obedience. Take great comfort in that, friends. The second pro to Psalm 13 is God has a promise prepared for us. Let's go back to Romans chapter 4 real quick. Will you put that scripture up? Romans chapter 4 verse 20. It says, No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Speaking of Abram, Abraham, Abraham was a hundred years old and he needed a son because God had promised him that his offspring would be as the stars of the sky. But he gets to this place where he's like, doesn't have kids yet, he's a hundred. He's like, God, uh, need a miracle. You know what I'm saying? A hundred years old. Yep. But he knew that God had made him a promise. David was like, yeah, I'm a hundred. Absolutely I need a miracle to produce a kid. Like a major one. But God, you've made me a promise. I can imagine that from 24 like me, at this point in my life, when I'm ready, I'm not concerned about that. I'm 24. I'm ready to go. But at a hundred? Brianna, I'm not ready to go, but... (laughs) But I can, depending on how long we wait, if we get to 36, or 45, or 50, 100, that's like game over, you know what I'm saying? I can imagine Abraham was probably like, as those years went by really, really slowly, that he had felt forsaken by God. Because he had not seen the promise that God had made him come into fruition. Sometimes, like I said, obedience is the game. And years might go by for you to obtain your promise. And it's okay if you have unbelief or doubt. Here's, unbelief and doubt are a, are a part of faith. If we, if we lay out the things that we feel like God has promised to us in front of us, and we're totally convinced that those things can happen upon our own strength and everything, then it's probably not from God. God wants to do supernatural, divine, impossible things in your life. Those are the promises that he's made you. You suffer from depression, total healing, total peace in your spirit. That's the promise that God has made you. You have brokenness in your body. I believe that God can totally heal that. You struggle with alcohol and drugs. I believe that God can totally set you free from that. 
You struggle with lust, pornography, sex addiction, whatever like that. I feel like God can give you love for if you're a man for one woman, a woman for one man, and God will totally build a beautiful marriage for you. I believe that. But it takes obedience just to march like a penguin into all that God has for you. And even though you might have some unbelief or doubt on the way, to know that God has made a promise. It says in, uh, I think it's 2 Corinthians that, in Jesus Christ, all God's promises come to fruition. In Jesus, all of God's promises come into fruition. Our obedience to God, whether we're obedient to God, will ultimately define the life that we live. I mean, at the end of the day, when Abraham got to his final years, what defined his life was his obedience to God. Obedience to God will define our life. Here's the thing about obedience that we don't really understand in our culture very well. Often we think, if God blesses me, then I'll be obedient. This is bad theology. Sound theology is I'll be obedient regardless of whether or not I feel like God has forsaken me because God has made a promise. And if I stay obedient and I march like a penguin into that promise, then I'll experience all that God has for me. Obedience, blessing. Not blessing, obedience. Will you be obedient to the call that God has on your life. Seth, I'm going to invite you back up. You guys got Romans chapter 5 on there? Put that scripture up there. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, this is our justification as human beings, that we would just say, God, you've made me a promise. Despite my unbelief, despite me feeling like you've forsaken me, you have made a promise to me. That's my faith. We have peace with God through the, our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering. David was like, God, why have you forsaken me? And then he stopped for a moment. He's like, yeah, but God has been, God has been really faithful to me. Despite my stupidity at times, despite my rebellion at times, God has made me a promise and he has been faithful to me. So I'm going to rejoice. He says, your steadfast love endures forever. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. I have good news from you. Endurance is coming. Some of you are like, Connor, I just, I've been obedient. I don't have anything left to give. I can't be obedient any longer. I'm at my tipping point. I believe that God has a new wind for you today. And endurance produces, next slide, character. You know who are really integral people? Are the people who have rejoiced in their sufferings 
and have created endurance. Part of the problem with my generation is we just fly around from job to job, relationship to relationship, because we really don't really have our eyes fixed on Jesus, and we're not listening, and we're not being obedient to God, so we're just all over the place, wandering all over this world. And no wonder nobody wants to hire us or spend time with us from the older generation. Because we don't have any character. Because we haven't suffered, and we haven't endured it, and we haven't been obedient to the promise that God has given us. Let me just say this about this whole message. We're all clear. I got a lot of this right here right now, and not all of it's right here, okay? But it's got to start in your brain, and God will just flood your brain with all this stuff, and they'll just compact it into your heart, and your life will be transformed. So bear with me. You can pray for me, because I'm getting ready to be obedient. I am obedient, but I'm I got a road ahead of me. And character produces hope. You have great hope, friends. And hope does not put us to shame. You know Sarah laughed at God? (laughs) God's like, you're going to get pregnant. She's like, no, I'm not. (laughs) Sure enough. Because, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Why don't you stand up? You guys, uh, who knows who Bob Ross is? Raise your hands. Come on. Let's take a survey. Jacob, you know who Bob Ross is? Good for you, man. You guys are doing a great job. Bob, for those of you who don't know, Bob Ross is, he is an incredible painter, but he is one of the most fascinating personalities that I have ever watched. So my wife and I recently, um, you know, when we're not laboring for the kingdom, we're watching Netflix. And we... We turned on Bob Ross. I think Jesus would watch Bob Ross. <laughs> we turned on Bob Ross. And uh, I'm like, I just had this, I was just watching it. I was like, I was just thinking to myself, does anybody who watches Bob Ross actually like paint with Bob Ross? Because I can't watch Bob Ross and think about painting. Like, I'm just like, this, how is this, is this guy human or is he a robot? Like, how does anyone possess that much joy? And like, he's just like, in, I'm seriously blown away by Bob Ross. Often, we come to church and we're just captivated by a personality. And we're like, just like, they're very, you know, captivating. And then we just go off into the world and we're like, uh, I think God's forsaken me. This is my point. This whole, church is not about one person on a platform entertaining people. This is a participatory worship experience. This is not a monologue. This is a dialogue. And here's how it becomes that. We're going to respond right now. And here's how we're going to do it. With every eye open and every head up. I'm going to present two groups to you and I would encourage you and I'm not going to call you forward I'm going to ask you to respond right where you're at and here's why that's significant 
You just need to respond however it is that you need to respond. Sometimes I sit down in response. And then other times I'm like, no, you need to stand up and you need to lift your hands in total abandonment and surrender. Because it's not like, if you don't do that, you're not wrong. But there are times in my heart where God's just whispering to me, lift your hands. And I'm like, no, I don't want to look weird or it's, you know, we're dancing. It's a dancing song. I need to be dancing. He's like, no, just lift your hands. And I act in obedience and I lift my hands and I feel freedom. I just, something just releases in my spirit. Something breaks off in me. So whatever that looks like for you, in these two opportunities, I'm going to ask you to do that. You can sit down. You can lift your hands. You can do whatever it is that you want to do. But I'm going to present two categories of people to you. And I'm going to ask you to respond honestly between you and God. Because I think God wants to set people free tonight. Today. It's not tonight. First group. This is an invitation to obedience. Maybe you're like, I've never been to church before in my life. But I've tried everything else and following this Jesus guy sounds a little bit hard, but it sounds ultimately like God has a promise for me and I want to be obedient to that. And you recognize that your obedience will overwhelm you, that you might feel like God has forsaken you at some point. Sometimes we, we say like, again, we invite people and they make a decision to follow Jesus and they're not totally sure what that entails. I'm telling you right now, it entails a place of forsakenness or seemingly so. But if despite that, you say, yeah, God's got a promise for my life and I want to be obedient to him. Maybe you've been a Christian for a lot of years, but you need to be like, God, I've walked away. I've been rebellious. I haven't been obedient to you. And you want to renew that obedience right now. Raise your hand. Anybody? Awesome. Awesome. This is what we're going to do. If you got, keep them up there real quick. If you got people around you who have their hands in their air, church, let's be the church, lay hands on them, and let's just start praying for them. Come on. Oh, hallelujah. Oh. just going to pray for fear right now. God, we pray that you would release them from fear right now. God, that your perfect love would penetrate the deepest part of their heart and their soul, and that you would release them from any fear right now in Jesus' name. We pray, we're going to pray for shame. Just pray with me. If you have any guilt or shame over your rebellion, we pray freedom from that right now in Jesus' name. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
We pray freedom from guilt and shame. We wipe it off right now. We bind it up in Jesus' name, God. We pray freedom, healing. If you have unforgiveness either towards yourself or to, to somebody else, we pray for that unforgiveness right now. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would forgive them, that there would be a sense of freedom, forgiveness in their heart right now. And God, we pray for the people that they need to forgive, God. We pray that you give them the strength, the courage to be obedient, to forgive like you've forgiven us, God. We pray in reconciliation, God. We pray a total healing in their heart, God. In Jesus' name, Father, we pray, God, just a fresh wind right now. In Jesus' name, that you just blow upon their spirit and their soul and renew them and revive them and fill them up. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Awesome.